Queen's Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Singleton. And as a child of the 80s, I'd love to say queens rule, but they don't. Queens lead. Being a queen means you are worthy to be a leader of people. The guests on our show do exactly that. They are leading the way in their businesses, families, and communities. They're taking their rightful place in the spotlight, leading and inspiring the developing queens in all of us. Welcome to the Queen's Lead Podcast. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Queen's Lead Podcast. Today, we are so excited to be joined by Dr. Kristen Albert, a queen who leads, who prefers to be called Chris. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Amy. It's great to be here with you. So tell us a little bit about who Chris is as a person. Oh, Chris is an eternal optimist. Chris has, drives an orange Volkswagen Tiguan, bright orange. Yes. And it has a Snoopy down in the left-hand corner waving at the people behind. And over the over on the right-hand side, it says, there's a sticker that says, I hope something good happens to you today. I um, love it. So Chris is an eternal optimist. Um, my mother says that I was born with a smile on my face. Um, and indeed, it's it's a blessing. I I smile all the time. And except for when it's very rare that you don't see me with a smile on my face. Yeah. So very optimistic person. Um, Let's see, what else would you like to know? (laughs) Well, how have you been able to maintain that optimism through your long career journey in higher education? (laughs) That's one really big question that pops out right away. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I was just on a on a call about an hour ago with someone who's in higher ed who's talking about the toxic environment and looking for coaching and and um yeah, you know, one of the one of the things that I practice it's called positive intelligence. It's researched by a gentleman named Shirzad Shamin and positive intelligence is that ability to to take any negative thing that happens and turn it into a gift or a possibility. And it's actually neurologically based. It's um, it's based in neurology and through one recognizing, he calls them saboteurs. You recognize the judge in yourself, the hyper focus in yourself, the hyper, uh, uh, yeah, just trying to be perfect you know, all the time, uh, the people pleasing, uh, the avoiding. So he's got this list of these nine saboteurs. And when you notice, so when I notice that one of those saboteurs is sitting on my shoulder, I just plink it off. Yep, exactly. Just take my finger and plink it right off my shoulder. And then I think about what is the gift or opportunity in that? And how can I engage that situation in a way that is positive and you actually create new neural pathways and yeah so yeah that's part of works it really does it's part of my practice um prior to that you know I think it I don't know the genetic (laughs) you know my mom saying I was born with a smile on my face there's just I've always just had a very positive spirit and and I have to say being blessed by, um, I've had a very privileged life that I recognize. Um, and so, yeah, 
and so that has that has certainly contributed to it as well. I love that. I have been called annoyingly happy, annoyingly positive, all of those things, mm -hmm. but I've never heard it delineated in quite that way. So I love that. So take us back to like, maybe not the very beginning, but like first job, first career choice. Um, and how, what has that journey kind of been like for you, you know, in your own business? Yes. Uh, first career choice, my bachelor's, uh, my bachelor's degree was in music education. So I I, you were a music teacher and vocal I, I was, coach. I was a music teacher for 30 years before I started my coaching business. So it's a, it's been an interesting journey um, because one of the common threads that I have found throughout my teaching. So I taught middle school classroom and vocal music for about 17 years. So who oh, wants God to be, bless you. I know who wants to be in a classroom with middle school kids? Well, I, I adored it. I really did. Um, wow. but the, the thread that goes through that was definitely leadership. So now, you know, I'm a leadership coach, but my focus was not necessarily about teaching music. Music happened to be the curricular area, but yes. it really wasn't about teaching music. It was about growing communities of responsible young people mm. who, who were capable of um, capable of recognizing that they weren't the center of the world, right? That it was their responsibility to help to create this classroom community where kids, students felt safe, they felt cared about, they were able to take learning risks. Um, and so this whole, uh, this whole approach that I had to teaching was really focused on creating young leaders in my classroom. Mm -hmm. um, and so then when I went to, um, when I left the public school and went to Westchester University, I taught 12 years at Westchester University. And um, again, I was teaching undergraduate music education students and graduate students, but again, it was teacher as leader, right? Mm -hmm. Teacher as creator of a classroom community. So again, I wasn't focused necessarily on the, um, the content of music, although I taught methodology, right? I taught music methodology. I taught choral methods, um, but it was really about creating teacher leaders and helping them to think about um, how they needed to show up, what they needed to do to show up um, in order to do their best work for the students and with the students. So leadership has always been kind of a, a, a common thread, a through line. And then leaving the university 10 years ago, um, there was really some, um, I got some backlash. Um, I was up and coming leader in the university. I was, um, getting ready to, to be promoted to full professor that next semester would have been going up for promotion. And I was ruffling feathers, um, by those in the department not just the department, my department chair and my dean who were feeling threatened by my success, mm -hmm. by people across campus 
recognizing me for my gifts and my skills. And, you know, when you're a positive person, people don't want to be around you, right? They don't want to be yeah. around people that are, that are negative and always looking at the dark side of things. I mean, I have my, I am able to challenge things. It's not, it's not a Pollyanna positivity, but, <laughs> right? but I was, you know, I was, I was, um, I was pushing the envelope and it wasn't appreciated. Yeah. Um, let me guess. Let me guess. Did you hear you're too much stick to the program? Uh, we don't know what to do with you. You don't fit into the, these are these kind of the things you're hearing. Well, they actually didn't say those things. What they did instead was one day I got called in and I, and I was told, Chris, we're going to replace, we're going to do a, a national search for your position, choral methods, elementary methods. And um, we don't see you as being qualified for this any longer. So I had been in those, I had been teaching, working my way up to, and then teaching those those courses for four or five years prior to this. So now all of a sudden I'm no longer qualified mm. um, to teach these courses. And not only that, Chris, but you're going to chair the search committee for the person that's going to be replacing you. The so, hell I am. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have you by the short hairs. They absolutely wow. have you by the short hairs. And so so yeah, um, and so I chaired that search committee, and that's a whole story in and of itself. But um, but I but I can tell you stories of of rising to leadership in ways that so I couldn't influence the dean and the chair, but I had influence in other ways that I could make again turn that turn that difficulty into a, a gift or an opportunity. So. Yeah. yeah. So leadership has just kind of always been a, a through thread, a thread through um, everything I've done, even as a Burger King employee before I, you know, before I went to, to college. Um, yeah. I saw, I saw the importance of each person on the team having their sphere of influence and the, not only the capability of stepping up, but the responsibility for stepping up and being part of this cohesive team and system. So that definitely is a different approach than what I think most people are used to, whether it be higher ed or especially junior high, high school type education, pushing the envelope in that way. I mean, I'm not exactly where I hundred percent stand on technology and cloning, but if we could clone the middle school version of you as an educator, <laughs> our, our, I think our systems and schools and children would look much different. Yes. Uh, you know, and I think, Amy, one of the things that you're making such a, a great point that every human being in their spheres of influence, in education, in politics, in um, no matter what the discipline and no matter how it is lived out, we need positive leadership everywhere. We mm -hmm. need it in our schools. We need it in our healthcare systems. Yes. We need it in our, in our, uh, you know, when it, we're talking about what's happening environmentally in our world, you know, but there are so many people who are stepping back and saying either not my problem, or I have no idea what to do about this. And mm -hmm. 
we don't, um, no one has the answer to everything. All we can do is step in and step up. And so, like you said, in education, I was very proud of the, the young teachers that, that I was inspiring to take this out, this, this concept out and live this out, because I really do believe the students who are being taught by them now are reaping the benefits. So it was my own yeah. little world trying to change the world, you know, a few semesters at a time. That's all you can do. It's one person at a time. And I agree with you. We, we need leadership like that in so many other areas. We can't all care about it all, but when the leaders of certain industry or facets are doom and gloom. It's all the problem, no way through. I'm just angry. And they just get this chorus of other angry people with them. Nothing's really being solved. And, and to have that, that more leadership and positive approach with, you know, I've told people before, even in my own family, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to be your doom and gloom and gripe partner. That's never going to happen. If that's what you're looking for, I will say, oh gosh, I'm so sorry you're going through that, but let's find a way through. What's our next step to find a way through? And people, some people don't take that very well. I can definitely see where leadership in higher forms would have been putting a quash on that right quick. Yeah, Yeah. the, the protecting and the controlling behaviors of negative leadership we're really coming to the fore, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you push the envelope and then there's this need to protect what they had. They had this need to protect or control what they, what they believed they had. Um, and, and the research is really clear, protecting and controlling and complying behaviors are negatively correlated with leadership effectiveness. It just, yeah. um, it's not going to work and no. it's going to long-term, it's not going to work. Yeah. Control might work on the short term, but it doesn't last. No, for sure. So talk to us about the catalyst that had you going, all right, I'm out and I'm in on me. And did you have any, the secondary question to that is, did you have anyone around you or in your family? Did you grow up with entrepreneurs or was this a totally different world for you? This was a totally different world for me. Um, My dad, who passed away rather young, he was 50 when he passed away, but he always aspired to entrepreneurship. But in his lifetime, he did not he did not see that. Mm -hmm. But um, about when well, when I was asked to be the search chair for my replacement, um, I started working with a a coach um, and I I said to him, help me figure out how to survive these next 10 years because I got this great gig going, help me, help me figure out how to survive these next 10 years until these, these toxic folks are out of the picture. Mm -hmm. And of course, no, no coach is going to uh, just help you (laughs) to survive. I worked with him for 10 years. Um, Yeah. Um, Started with him shortly before I left the university. And my work with him was was focused on helping me to recognize the limitations that I was putting on myself. So the things that I was saying, you know, I worked hard for this gig, you know, I've gotten a doctorate and I've done this and this and and I'm and I'm and I'm capable and I've started this program in residence at the university and all these things and wanting to protect that, right? Um, And him saying, um, 
really helping me to be able to stand up straight and say, enough of this shit. I, I, I deserve I deserve better. I am giving all my power away. I am very capable and I can. And if it's not there, I'm going to figure out where I'm going to take it. And so, so I started turning points really as educational consulting and instructional coaching because I knew education. Um, and then as I went for my coaching certificate and did the practice coaching, um, that's when the leadership the the leadership thread started to become clearer. And so it morphed into leadership coaching. But yeah, I had the support of, of, of this coach and my husband and my sister who gave me, I'll, I'll show it to you, but I'll read it. Um, yes. It's a little plaque that has a picture of a, a gal uh, with a bag and a pair of shoes in her hands. And it says, she packed up her, t- up her potential. I'm going to start again. She packed up her potential and all she had learned, grabbed a cute pair of shoes and headed out to change a few things. Mm, and my sister, yeah. like, he was saying, Chris, pack up your potential and all that you've learned, grab a cute pair of shoes and go out there and change a few things. And That's it. So between my coach, my husband, my sister, um, those were the, those were the, the network, they were the network of support that, um, that helped me to recognize or didn't, they supported me in recognizing that I didn't need to keep trying to protect what I had, that I had many more capabilities that I wasn't tapping into. And so mm. starting turning points. And now this year, um, this month, it's my 10th year in business. <laughs> Congratulations. That is a huge, huge feat. Uh, You know, the statistics of small business. So to make it 10 years, uh, and are you still, are you a solopreneur at this point or have you built some tea, a team around you? I have, I am a solopreneur. Um, although I do parse some things out to a bookkeeper and to a social media manager and those sorts of things. Yeah. But I really, um, because my thought leadership and the way I coach is so very specific to me. It is my brand. I am my brand. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so plus I don't even think I want to get that big, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't want it to be so complicated. I want to just be able to, uh, to manage it on, on my terms and at my pace and yeah. So I love that. Yeah. So what are the, what are some of the challenges? I'm assuming it was not always this beautiful of a process and Mm. your website and having those resources, like a social media manager, the bookkeeper, all those things. What did the early days look like? Uh, A lot of our listeners are either women entrepreneurs, business owners, or thinking about ditching Mm. the day job and, and branching out into something. So what were some of those early struggles and how did you cope? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the, I think the tipping points for anybody who's listening, that is, you know, trying to say, trying to decide, is this something I can afford to do? Right. Mm -hmm. There's always this question. Can I afford to take this leap? Can I afford to leave? For me, it was a tenured position that had continued room to grow and a great salary and lots of, lots of potential. 
can I afford to leave that and start from zero? Yeah, right? start that's terrifying. From zero. So yeah, so I left on July 31st of 2012 and right away started Turning Points. So um, some of the things that I had to be creative about was how to bring in income, that bridge income, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that's going to be different for everybody. But because I was um, a music educator at that time, in addition to my to my first contract that I got, I also did a little bit of uh, instructing at a local university. So I took a couple, taught a couple courses as an adjunct mm-hmm. uh, at a local university. Um, and then we did we did the kind of the magical finances of moving money around, right? We yeah. moved, which which reduced our our uh, our commutes. And so the wear and tear on the car and the gas and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Plus, we were closer to all the activities that we did. So we and then when we moved, um, we were able to get our mortgage down to a very manageable, you know, so mm-hmm. to save twelve hundred dollars a month on our mortgage. I mean, just that alone. Right. Yeah. So so just I would say for people who are listening you don't don't assume that if you're making let's say $80,000 that you have to be making $80,000 when you know to switch you don't yeah. have to have it all figured out right right i think one of the other challenges has been and this is for people who are out there i think in marketing um i have marketing is not my niche and i needed good people to help me with my marketing and it wasn't until maybe the last couple of years that I finally got some people who understood what it meant to, to provide marketing support and messaging. And I worked with a guy, I paid him a boatload of money and I came away with a, a great video um, that led nowhere, right? So- yeah. I think the one of the big things I learned is that you have to have, I know that it's called a pipeline, I guess. You have to have, people have to know you and what you offer. Um, and the, the marketing folks that I had, I would think that would be marketing 101, you know, that they would, that they, that they would have seen, okay, we need to help her build this, this, um, portal of people, this, um, you know, people, this funnel, right. Of people who are going to come to her, but it was, it was almost like, if you build it, they will come. Well, that's not the way it works. (laughs) Not exactly. Right. No, it doesn't. And so, um, so I think the biggest challenge for me was marketing. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I'm doing a podcast now and why I have my Turning Points Leadership Community mm-hmm. so that people can get to know me and hear me yeah. in my voice. Um, plus, it, it also fits with a, you know, I do the one-on-one leadership coaching, but it also fits with my um, my philosophy about everyone being being capable of leading in their sphere of influence. So the community is really geared toward inspiring people to lead, but also giving them the tools to lead well. 
So both of these, um, both of these tools have helped me to build my to build my funnel. Um, but yeah, marketing was a was a big struggle for many many years. I think the other thing I learned was the power of learning from others. Yeah. Right? Yes. So I I had a teacher mindset. And what a teacher mindset is, is you you are in your classroom and you are the leader of your domain and the kids are in the classroom and you do it all yourself. Yeah. That's not how you do it in business. It's no. Not, no, 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 no. So there's too much to know. Way too, too much, much to know. Exactly. And people yeah. have expertise and people like you who are willing to share their expertise. I mean, through your podcast and for people to learn from that and to, to make connections with folks who, um, who you can have a synergy, a synergistic relationship. They can learn from you. You can learn from them. I think some of the most powerful groups I have been in have been groups of women who are dedicated to mutually supporting one another in, in their business growth. Yes. Um, which is rare, right? Because it women in general, I mean, maybe not speaking for every woman, but it's already this feeling, regardless of industry, I came from healthcare, not claw, claw, like clawing your way to the top of this male dominated exactly. industry. Yes. Even though I'm a, a female nurse, who do I serve? The patients and the physicians. So right. we're already at this, yes. at this competitive mindset. And to yes. make that switch that no, wait, there is enough success for all of us. All and when I'm us. at the top of the mm-hmm. elevator, I can send that bitch back down and pick up another lady. Like Ab- her up too. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think the same was true in higher ed. They just wanted to keep, keep you puppeted, you know, that you were the puppet and they wanted to believe, um, like, like when I was told you're going to search, you're going to be the search chair for your replacement. I should have been able to say, um, I thought there's a problem with that, but no, yeah. I was like, it, it was such a threatening, it was such a threatening space. Um, yeah. And there's just so much um, c- competitiveness instead of, again, that protecting and controlling, right. Mm-hmm. Negatively mm-hmm. correlated to leadership effectiveness, but instead this abundance mindset and sharing in the abundance creates more abundance for everyone, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's um, amazing whenever those concepts click that it's hard to even imagine yourself thinking the old way. At least it yeah. is for me. Yes. Yeah. And when you're talking to folks that aren't where you are yet, that they kind of they they're a little skeptical like can I even get there? You know? Yeah. Is that even possible? Absolutely. Yes, it is possible. Yep. And we're right here with you and we're going to help you get there. That's it. Uh, And yeah. So tell us who Turning Points serves. I know you have some individual coaching and then also Mm -hmm. group coaching. Um, I'm very interested to hear kind of about that funnel or that pipeline. What does it look like for someone to, to work with you and engage your services? Yeah, great question. So there are three, really three ways that people can work with me. One is as a one-on-one individual leadership coach. And so those, the folks that choose to do that 
Um, some of them are at the very top. Many of them are at the very top of their industry and they don't have an objective, safe space to be able to bring the issues. Um, and so they're looking for a safe space for conversation, but then they're also looking for, um, they're feeling some sort of pain in, in frustration in how things are going. Um, relationship. Usually it's in relationships within their organization. Um, mm -hmm. There's a great quote uh, by Julio Alaya. Julio was my, uh, my, my mentor coach in my coaching, in my coaching training, but he said problems in organizations are due to one of two things, either conversations not being had that need to be had or conversations not being had well. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that is huge. So when, when you have someone coming, someone coming to me for coaching, a lot of the issues that they're experiencing are either self-leadership or um, their ability to manage uh, leadership and, and conversations with other folks. So to be able to make effective requests, to set effective boundaries, for example. Um, and so, so those coach, those clients that I have are often um, presidents, um, CEOs, um, somewhere high up in their organization where they're looking for some coaching support. Mm -hmm. uh, also, those people are people who are ready and willing to admit that they don't know what they don't know. Yeah. They don't come, people don't come to see me who think they, they really know it all. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if they did, I would tell them that this isn't a good fit because yeah. they really need to um, be willing to um, be vulnerable and, and be open to new possibilities and new conversations. So, so that's the one-on-one -on -one coaching piece. I also host um, a women's leadership network and that happens twice a year. That combines the best of one-on-one -on -one coaching with group coaching. So it's a five month program. Um, mm -hmm. During the five months, once a month, there's a, so there are two meetings a month. Once a month is a mastermind. The second meeting a month is a book study. And the one that's coming up, now this will be done when this airs, but the fall book study is leadership uh, language in the pursuit of leadership excellence. So we'll do a book study, we'll have a mastermind, and then those individuals will also participate in one-on-one -on -one coaching with me where they can bring their individual issues and needs to that coaching. Mm -hmm. So that creates this synergy um, and camaraderie, and support, and again, it's women, supporting women, safe space um, where women can come and be themselves and get the support they need. They can be cheered on for the things that they're doing great and supported and, um, and challenged to see things in, in new ways. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's the leader, Women's Leadership Network. That starts, it's always September through January. And then by the time this airs, 
the next one will be starting in March of 2023 and we'll go March through August or nice. March through July. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the third way to work with me is through my Turning Points Leadership Community. And that's a membership-based community. And there are several levels of membership, but um, people get curated content and access to me. I have, um, depending on what level you're a member, I offer a first Monday accountability call. So people check in every month with what, you know, come with a problem, lead with a plan or leave with a plan and then mm -hmm. come back the next month and check back in and are being held accountable. So a yeah. Monday, uh, first Monday accountability call. Second Tuesday is always a, it's a community connection call where people come and I, and I um, speak on, I facilitate a session on the theme of the month. So in that community, there's a theme every month. So mm -hmm. I facilitate a, a session on that. And then the third Thursday is an ask me anything open coaching call. Okay. And then the fourth Friday is when my <clears throat> podcast drops. Nice. So there's something curated and new each week and people can become member, members of that community. And then there's online interaction, um, polls and articles and just, again, all related to leading well, where people can get support and inspiration for mm -hmm. leading wherever you, they're trying to lead. Do you find that um, the individuals, like the high-level C-suite individuals that you coach, is it typically more of a problem within their own mindset, which I think I know the answer, or is it sometimes also um, a problem with their, their process or procedure internally in the company. Mm, mm. Yeah. Oftentimes it's mindset because, but, but there are strategic conversations um, on, on managing change within the organization. So there's a mm. lot of, there are a lot of strategic conversations that they bring. Sometimes they just need to talk through um, something that's coming up, it might be a, it might be a personnel issue, or, um, they might have a VP who's new and, and so they're trying to, um, orient that, that VP in a way to understand what their vision is as, as the leader of the organization. Mm -hmm. Um, but then they're, you know, then they're, they're the internal pieces like um, wanting to please yet needing to lead, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, not being a hyper achiever and not doing a great job of, of um, creating boundaries or um, delegating work. Mm -hmm. um, needing to hold it all for themselves when they're not and not utilizing their people. So as a coach, I'm always listening through through my lens of of all these frameworks so that I can ask questions around what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how often you have coaches on on your podcast, um, but coaching is different than consulting. So when somebody comes to a coach, mm -hmm they don't come to me expecting me to tell them what to do. Yeah. They expect me to ask really good questions. 
yes. get them going, huh, oh, I hadn't thought yeah. about it that way before. Yeah. Right. right. And then, so what does that open up for you? And then they really, the, the client only needs me for asking questions mm-hmm. and for listening uh, because the answers are already in them. They're experts in their fields. Yeah. They don't need, I can't, you know, you were, you were trained as a nurse. I don't know anything about nursing, but what I do know is about, is about people and systems. And so Mm -hmm. I can ask and, and the things that hold, that get people stuck. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so is the, I noticed uh, on your website, there was a a separate, um, maybe a separate, separate course or program, or maybe this is included on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yes, yes. Um, I am a champion of diversity, equity, and inclusion. I started my journey back in uh, April of 2018. Um, this was a couple of years before George Floyd was killed. I, I attended a, uh, a performance that, that had people of color in, in the cast, and I was very uncomfortable with the content of of the show and realized that it was for a day and age that was not appropriate for now and Mm. got me wondering and got me thinking. And over time, starting that April of 2018, I just started exploring, um, taking courses, reading, connecting with people and I have a deep, I have a deep personal faith. So I will call, call this the Holy spirit um, because that's, that's how it fits with my languaging. But some people would say the universe conspired. I would say that's true too. Um, But over those, gosh, it's now four years. I have continued to see um, work in equity and justice for marginalized populations as work that I am called to and I simply can't not do. I must do. Um, I, I can't, I'm privileged. I'm privileged. And, and because of that privilege, I have a responsibility to learn as much as I can um, and to uh, help to make change where I can in terms of equity and, and, and justice. So that's my story. So you provide training to the entire team or to the leader of the team to help them implement that type of inclusion? Oh, that, that's great. So yeah, so that what you saw on my website is a course that I created to help other white people of European descent have a personal um, safe space to learn and to focus and to unpack their own personal relationship with white privilege and implicit bias. So it really isn't a, it's not even a like one of my offerings or so I don't consider myself to be a, a DEI uh, expert in any way. And I don't co- go into organizations and do DEI work, but my, my way of seeing is informed by my personal work to unpack my privilege and implicit bias. And my invitation to folks that come to my website is to 
if you haven't started to do this work for yourself and you're at all curious and you want a safe space to do it, here you go. Here's a seven module program that's free um, to take and experience um, and, and wrestle with your own experience so that you can, you know, when we, as Maya Angelou said, when we know better, we do better. So right. that's, that's the right. point of that. Yeah. Uh, my husband and I are, um, we live in Oklahoma. We're born and born and raised here for me. And um, being a white middle-aged female, it, it's this, it's a strange place sometimes to feel like I so want to be a part of of groups that are more inclusive and, uh, you know, that are more diverse all the time and looking across the entire spectrum of existence and, and finding my way to plug in there without being this champion that's offended on their behalf or something that's not, it's mm-hmm. just not right. That's not, mm-hmm. that's not right. That's not the right place for me. What is my place and how do I insert myself into that as what I am. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's and a tough thing to navigate sometimes when you feel so passionate, like, yes, people of color. Yes. Gay people. Yes. Black people. Yes. But this sounds weird for me to say that. So it sounds like yes. your course is definitely a great place to start for it's people. It's a great place in to that start. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's a journey. It is a journey for each one of us because when we have that change and we go, yes, I believe this. And this is how, you know, I believe in, you know, equity for people of color and, and justice, you know, racial justice and, and for people who in the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, But yet, if you're not in relationship with people of color, or with people in that community, um, then it's just kind of like that white savior, like riding in on the, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, that's not right either. So it's a process of learning and then putting yourself into spaces where you're the only white face, right? And that and that's that's different because how many I was at my husband and I went for ice cream the other night and it was a a little farm near us that you know that makes great ice cream and there was a family there family of color everybody else was white and there was a family of color there getting ice cream and i thought how often am i in a space where i am the only white person right mm-hmm. what is that like so for rare so rare exactly and, and so you notice when when that happens like i when that happens to me i definitely notice like absolutely yeah and, and even like yeah it's a it's a yeah for, to have that be your every day Yep. So, so I, I believe I have a responsibility for, for putting myself, you know, in places where I'm, I'm not comfortable or Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have, it's what's interesting is I'm now, I am now comfortable, but I wasn't until I started learning and I just, um, but it's, it's a journey. It's a journey and it takes intention and, and yeah, takes intention. Well, I love that you have put your time and effort into that free resource for people. Everyone, please go check that out for sure. Um, tell everybody how they can, if we've got C-suite people listening, 
um, other people that need that community of accountability and want to learn to be a better leader? How do they engage your services? That's the oh, best way thanks to get a hold for, of you. Yeah, no, I appreciate you asking that question. I would say best place to go is go to my LinkedIn profile, Dr. Kristen Albert on LinkedIn, um, because there is where I'm always posting. I'm posting articles. I'm, I'm posting information about coaching. I'm posting information about my leadership community. So if you go there, you'll see and, and look through my posts. You'll see, you'll find my Turning Points Leadership Community. Um, you'll see my contact information. You'll see uh, information about the the one-on-one -on -one coaching packages and that sort of thing. So I think it's a great place. My my website is a little outdated right now. It just feels I'm in the process of saying I need to I need to update that. I don't know. Websites don't feel like they're the end-all be-all anymore. You know, it just. Uh, yeah. But anyway, turning uh, or uh, LinkedIn is probably the best best point of contact that will get you to any of those three domains, whether it's one-on-one um, -on -one coaching, whether it's the Women's Leadership Network, or whether it's the Turning Points Leadership Community. Oh, and my podcast, which yes. is available on all the major, I think it's available on like 11 different podcast hosts. So if they would... Um, just simply search turning points in leadership, those four words, turning points in leadership, and that will that will take them to in whatever their podcast host is. And they should be able to find it's a picture of me and a little blue and orange eye thumbnail. Um, but yeah. Who are your guests on the podcast? So I interview people who are leading within their spheres of influence, who are people that don't necessarily hold titles, but see leadership more broadly. And, um, and I talk to them about their leadership journeys, um, how, how their culture has influenced them as leaders, um, and their wisdom for their invitation to other folks. But they're people that inspire me because they live their leadership and they lead um, they're not waiting around till till they get a position of authority to yeah. lead. leading they with are, their lives. They're leading with their lives. Absolutely. Yeah. So like those are queens. my guests. Like you. Like queens, queens exactly. Lead. Queens lead. I love that. I love queens that. Lead. Yep. One day my hope is that my husband's title will be Kings Serve. Oh, I love it. I don't love steal it. that anybody. I, <laughs> love Maybe that we'll have the editors cut that out, but you know, <laughs> I've had a couple of guys reach out and be like, can I be a king for a day? I'm like, mm, I don't think so. Well, you know, what's so funny. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of, of Mary Ann Seagart, the authority gap. Um, you know, when, and guys, I'm not busting on you because I yeah, love we men. Are. Just a little bit. I ain't no men listening okay. to this anyway, but maybe our husbands. <laughs> well, I love men, but I Me also, too. I think it's also important for men to realize that their privilege as men, they don't know what they don't know when it comes to how women experience the world, because it's, it's very much like a white person not understanding what a person of color experiences, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've had conversations with um, coaching colleagues, male coaching co colleagues who coach women, 
and I've brought this to their attention. And there's this, um, I'll call it, you know, the white fragility, right? This is the male fragility. Well, yeah. wait, I, 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 I'm a champion of women. I, you know, I believe in women. I give them like, yeah, you do. I agree with all that. However, you don't know what you don't know when it comes to this gap. So, yeah. so you're inviting women and women's voices to Queen's Lead podcast because yeah. men have had the voices for the past ever, years, forever, 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 right? And we're just scratching the surface. Yeah, we are just yeah. women are just so these opportunities for queens to lead, right? Um, it's lovely that they that the gentlemen admire what you're doing and would love to be part of it. They've already had their part of it. They just don't realize it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, well, thank you so much for being my guest. We appreciate the work that you're doing up there in Delaware. I'm assuming anybody from anywhere can work with you. I'm sorry. You went to University of Delaware. That's right. Moved to Pennsylvania. (laughs) Sorry about that. And I work with people all over, all All over over the place. I, in Europe, um, America, U.S. Yep. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you again so much for being my guest and for being a queen that leads, Kristen. Thank you. And Amy, I just applaud the work that you are doing. Um, You are a queen that leads and making the space for for women's voices and for us to share. uh, It's it's so necessary and so appreciative or so appreciated. And thank you for including me. It's been a pleasure. 